You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Uh, Lord of heaven and earth, we thank you so much for uh, just your provision for us this morning, for that we can be here. We thank you for a church family that we can worship alongside and then uh, learn alongside in our Sunday school hour. We pray that you will bless this time as we uh, cover covenants and the new covenant. And we ask that um, your truth will be proclaimed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so I've introduced myself to a lot of you all, but I'm Will Fagan. I'm the uh, boys' youth director, uh, and I have a counterpart, Marianne McCarty, is our girls' youth director. So the way we, this works, Cameron is director of youth, youth family, youth children and family. And we have Marianne and I, our, our directors, we're more, more the boots on the ground, so to speak. If we're going to say, like, you know, Cameron's, Cameron's CEO, we're, we're the boots on the ground. And then um, we have a girls intern, and we're trying to hire a guy, in, guy intern. So if you know any junior high people, guys, that would be good at junior high guy intern, we're looking for one. Um, but we think that would be great. Um, this year in our children's Sunday school hour, we are focusing on covenants. And so the idea of this class, as you all know, I think, is just to equip you to talk to your kids uh, about when they talk to you about covenants this year. They're going to be learning about covenants in the Sunday school hour, and so when they want to come home and talk about covenants after church, on the ride home, or uh, when you read the Bible at night, you talk about covenants with them. Uh, or if they come home one day and they said, Mom, I checked out in science today and I was thinking about covenant theology. Can you explain that more to me? Um, which would be very likely for all of your kids, I bet. Yeah. Um, but that's the point of this class. And so every year in the children's Sunday school class, and I'm still learning this, but every year in the children's Sunday school uh, class, they will cover the Bible a summary of the Bible every year, and they will use different themes as they do that. So it might be redemptive history in the Bible, or uh, how is peace looked at in the Bible in all these different, you know, from start to finish. Uh, but this year, we're covering covenants. Uh, and as today, and today, as the title of the class suggests, we are talking about the new covenant. And what I want us to focus on is not just the definition of the new covenant, but how it is the fulfillment of the old covenant, and more broadly, and more broadly, and more broadly, how it, how it is the fulfillment of specific covenant promises that God gave to his people in the Old Testament. So we have new covenant, we have the old covenant, and we have a lot of other covenants. And we're going to talk about how the new covenant is the fulfillment of not just the old covenant, but all the old other covenants in the New Testament. So I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you about the new covenant today. Before we dive in, does anyone have any idea of, of why we should presently be excited about the new covenant what does the new covenant entail what is who ushered in the new covenant jesus christ jesus christ ushered in the new covenant very good yeah you when i'm in sunday school with the junior high kids if they say god or jesus like that's a great answer yeah yeah that's a great answer you keep saying that uh and um so great, yeah, the new covenant means we have brought into a new and better relationship with God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, we reference the new covenant very often in our Sunday services. We don't every week, but we do reference it. Uh, every Sunday we have a communion Sunday. 
Uh, and so when we say in right one, we say this is the blood of the New Testament poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. If we were to say right two, which is actually what I grew up saying at the little Episcopal church where I was at, uh, more modern modern language, but it just has some, just some translation differences. We would say this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And we say this because communion... It's all about remembering, it's all about communing, it's all about celebrating the new covenant, which is entirely about Jesus Christ and his work and giving us a new and a better relationship with God. So people have written, I should say this, people have written large volumes on the new covenant. We could talk about this all day long, as much as you would want to uh, uh, talk about this all day long. But the goal of this class, like the classes in the past week, is just to give you a primer on, the specific, on this specific covenant. Number one, for your knowledge and edification and growth. But number two, like I said earlier, just so you can help explain this to your kids. What is important about the new covenant? So today, just structuring the time in this way, I'm going to define the new covenant. And then we are going to just review what covenants are and why they are important. And then some large covenants in the Old Testament. And then lastly, we are going to do this because we'll see how the new covenant is not just a new and better covenant but it's actually the covenant of all covenants because it, because it fulfills all the old covenants. Okay, so great. So first, the new covenant can be defined as the promise that God makes with mankind that he will forgive sin and restore communion with those whose hearts believe in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant, and his death on the cross is the basis of that promise. He defeated death by his resurrection and restored life to those who believe in him. So let's, let's break this down. The new covenant is the promise, and I'll say bond as well, but it's the promise that God makes with mankind. So it's a bond, it's a promise and a bond between two, two parties. So God and mankind, that he will forgive sin and thus restore communion with those whose hearts believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And what is Christ's role in the new covenant? He's the mediator of the new covenant, which means he brings it about. His work brings about this new covenant on the basis of his death on the cross. And what does his death do? It defeats eternal death by his resurrection, which restores life for those who believe in him. And then we are given communion with God again. So that's a lot. You've probably all heard a version of that, but maybe not in the context of the new covenant. We usually, I mean, that's the gospel message. But in the context of the new covenant, that is the new covenant. And we would agree this is very important. This is very important to, to have this uh, down with how our relationship with God functions through the work of Jesus Christ. And it's very important. But I think to better understand its significance, we need to look back at God's relationship with his people before the new covenant came into existence. So to better understand its significance, we need to look at who are God's covenant people? Who are God's covenant people before this new covenant were, were ushered in? Can anybody tell me who were God's covenant people before the new covenant was ushered in? Jews? Yeah, Jews. And I do this when, I, when, I'm, when I'm going through, you're going to get a taste of what I do with junior high and high school kids. When I, when I say, okay, the Jews, who are also the Hebrews, who are also the Israelites, who are also the nation of Israel, and we can throw in the kingdom of Judah there if we want to. Um, those are, that is God's covenant people. And I say that because if you're new to the Bible, it can be hard to see, you know, who are these groups of people? We have different names for them, which is very helpful to see. These are the same people. And in weeks past, what are some important things we've learned about covenants? Just to get us started. Okay. I'll tell you some good things we, that, that, in listening to, to Cameron's thing, um, Cameron's previous uh, weeks. 
Uh, covenants are all about relationships. Every covenant in the Bible is about the relationship between God and his people. And the definition that Cameron has used in past weeks is, I think, right on the money. A covenant is a bond in blood, sovereignly administered, and marked by a sign. So I'll say that again. It's a, blo- it's a bond. It's a very serious relationship. Uh, I have a relationship with my mailman. He drops off our mail at the door. I say hello to him. Uh, we chat for a second, but I wouldn't say that's a bond. That's just a relationship. That's just a, it's an acquaintance. But a bond, I have a bond with my wife. I have a bond with our little daughter. I have a bond with my parents. It's, it's, you get the point. It's a very tight relationship. It's not just something that you have in passing. So it's a bond, serious relationship in blood. Why does the covenant have to be marked in blood? Because in these instances, it has life and death implications. Um, It is sovereignly administered. Covenants are brought forth on God's terms, not our terms. We don't say to God, hey, God, give us a covenant with you. God says, I'm making a covenant with you. God is always the party that's that's issuing the covenant. And it is marked by a sign so we can remember the covenant. And a super helpful distinction as it pertains to the relational aspects of these covenants is one that I learned in my first day of seminary. And that is a covenant is a relational agreement between a greater party and a lesser party. And the greater party will give great blessing to the lesser party in return for a seemingly smaller end of the bargain. So uh, in the ancient Near East, in the time where uh, the Abraham and the Jews were, were around in the ancient Near East, they would have covenants between like a, a, a larger kingdom and a smaller kingdom. Now, the larger kingdom would want the smaller kingdom for resources or for manpower or for whatever, and they would say, we're going to bless you so long as you send us men to fight our wars for us. So that's kind of the basis of the greater part and the lesser party. Now, a covenant with God and his people, there's a very clear distinction of God is the greater party. I mean, always God's the greater party, and then we are the lesser party. And let's take uh, the, the Abrahamic covenant, for example. We talked about the, Cameron talked about the Abrahamic covenant. We're going to cover this um, a little bit more. But the Abrahamic covenant is a bond between God and then Abraham and his family. It is in blood. It has life and death implications. It is sovereignly administered. Who, is the, uh, who initiates this covenant? It's not Abraham. It's God. God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And then finally, what is the sign? Circumcision. Circumcision is the, circumcision is the sign for the Abrahamic covenant. And it's literally so personal. Uh, for males, they are reminded of this covenant every single day. Um, this is agreement between a greater party and a lesser party. Who's a greater party? God. Who's a lesser party? Abraham and his family. And lastly, what are the benefits of this Abrahamic covenant? And we can read about this fully in Genesis 28 when God reiterates this promise to Abraham's grandson, Jacob. But the covenant promise here is land. God says, I'm going to give you a wonderful home in the promised land. It's protection. I'm going to give you protection, which is great news. It's great news because I'm going to protect you, and we all want God on our side when we need protection. But it's bad news because Abraham and his family are going to need it. And... The third promise is that I'm going to give you children. I'm going to give you a family. Now, what are the benefits that God receives here? There's nothing that Abraham can give God that, that God doesn't already have in terms of provision. And this is not quite as explicit, but for my money, this goes back to what God did in the beginning. God, above all else, desires relationship with his people and his image bearers. And God chose Abraham and his family to become his chosen nation who he would have a relationship, who in God's design would be a light to the world so that, they, so that the world might know God. And I just want to stress the importance, just, just quickly, the, 
the relational aspect of covenants. A covenant is not merely a business arrangement between God and his people. It is completely based on relationship. Contracts, on the other hand, are based on distrust. Uh, We are signing this document because at the end of the day, I don't trust you that you're going to come through with this end of the bargain. We're signing this contract on buying this house because at the end of the day, I want in writing that we bought this house for this amount of money. There's not a lot of trust there. You know, it's completely based on, on, on distrust, whereas covenants are based on trust. Uh, a marriage isn't a contract. A marriage is a covenant. We are trusting one another. We are going to love one another until one of us perishes. Um, there's no contract there. Uh, it's, it's a covenant. Um, and just the same, we see the relational aspects of covenants acutely in how God keeps them. Uh, why does God keep his covenant with Jacob? So we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why does God keep his covenant with Jacob? Because God knew his father, Isaac, and God knew his grandfather, Jacob. And God seemingly says to Jacob, I knew your father, I knew your grandfather, and now I know you. And I'm going to keep my covenant promises because I had a relationship with them, and now I have a relationship with you. And we can fast forward 400 years in time from that point, and we can see how God is still keeping his promises with his covenant family. Uh, When Jacob's descendants go to Egypt, and after several centuries, they are hard up, they are enslaved, they are groaning out for help. We see in Exodus 2, which again is hundreds of years after this first covenant was made, it says, God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. God says, I promised them land, which was not Egypt. I promised them land. It's not Egypt, so I need to get them out of Egypt. I promised them protection, which I now need to do. Now that they are enslaved and they are held down by the Egyptians, I need to protect them. And then third, I promised them family, which I have done, but I'm going to continue to do. In all this, God is very relational. And it's important, I think, for us to see how, how we do this as well. Uh, has anyone ever encountered a friend of their parents uh, and then kind of, and you've never met before, but then kind of immediately have a bond with them? Uh, for instance, uh, I've had friends of my dad come up to me and said, I've known your dad for 30 years. And there's a seemingly this like, and now I know you. I've known your dad and your dad's word and your, dad, my, your dad's relationship with me is good enough for me to have a relationship with you. And we're not strange, we're, we're strangers, but now we're not strangers anymore. And it happens like that. Um, we see this when we're in trouble. Um, hypothetically, say, I was in a jam 30 years ago, and your mom helped me out when I was in, when I was in trouble, and now I'm going to help you out. And we, that can be as, as big as uh, you don't have any money anymore, and I need to help you out so you can pay your bills. Or it could be um, your grandfather used to change my tires 40 years ago, and now I'm going to give you a, a discount on your oil change. I mean, th- that happens. We have relationships based on our family. Um, and just as these relationships move through time, so too we see that covenants move through time. And we see how they're built upon each other. And Cameron talked about these last week, and just using a few of them as an example, I want to see how they build upon each other. So the Abrahamic covenant, we have land, we have protection, we have a family. With the Mosaic covenant, so God's covenant promise with Moses, again, about 400 years after the fact, God says, now that I've led you out of Egypt, now that you're free people, so I've given you protection, I've given you, given you a family, and I'm going to give you land. Now I'm going to give you the law so that I can teach you how to live. And quoting from, quoting from an article, article I read last week, it says, The Mosaic Covenant is important because in it, God promises to make Israel a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, and God's people were out to be his 
were to be his light in a dark world around them. They were to be a separate and a called-out nation so that everyone around them would know that they worshipped Yahweh, a covenant-keeping God. So I will continue to bless you, so only you follow the law. That's what, that's what God is saying to Moses. And lastly, for the purposes of today, we have the Davidic covenant. We find this in 2 Samuel 7. This is the covenant where God promises a descendant to David who will reign on the throne over God's people for forever. And that's a continuation of the earlier covenants in that it promises a Davidic king who will, through, through whom God will secure, eternally secure, uh, the, the promises of land, descendants, and blessing. And this covenant becomes the basis for the hope of a Messiah. Uh, it makes sense of the gospel's con- concern to always show that Jesus was the rightful king of the Jews. So this sounds great. We have, we have blessing, we have land, we have a family that's turned into a nation. So it's a small family that turned into a great nation. And now we have a, a king that will eternally secure all of these promises. So this sounds great. This is what God is building up to through the course of time. But there's, there's one crucial element that's missing here. And the very crucial element that's missing is that God's people do not uphold their end of the bargain. They do not uphold their end of the covenant. They do not follow their law. They do not trust God. And therefore, God's covenant is broken by his people. The relationship, as it were, is fractured. Even though we have the greater party, lesser party, still a relationship, and at this point it is fractured because they are not upholding their end of the bargain. And this brings us all to the new covenant, which is based upon the definition of earlier that we're going to go over again. It is God's promise that he will make with mankind that he will forgive and restore communion with them, with all those whose hearts believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus is the mediator of that new covenant, and his death on the cross is the basis of that promise. He defeated death by his resurrection, and he restored life for all those who believe in him. Jeremiah 31 is where we actually see the first instance of the new covenant. And in Jeremiah 31, when we get to Jeremiah, God's people have completely run amok. They are, they are, um, they have run amok in the sense that they have not followed the law, and as such, God is turning them over to judgment. And in the sense that God is turning them over to judgment over the course of several hundred years, uh, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah were attacked by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Persians, and they all exiled them. And then these, these prophets were, were sent to call God's people to repent and believe in the promises that God has given you. Repent, follow the law, believe in the, in the promises that God has given you. And in Jeremiah 31, this is verse 31 through 34, we see, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, where I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put the law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of these to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive them of their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. I was thinking about this the other day. It says, I will remember their sin no more. Who recently has had housework done, like a significant house renovation, or like they have a new kitchen, or let's say, for, 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 for example, the argument. Say you have this new, this new kitchen that you've, you've redone, you've spent a lot of money redoing this kitchen, you have new appliances, you have uh, new everything. And say your 
fifth grade son or daughter looks at the new kitchen and gets a can of orange spray paint and just spray paints the new kitchen and said, this is, this is my work that I'm doing in this kitchen. Okay, that's an idea of sin, by the way. We have this new thing and we're going to come in and we're going to ruin it through our behavior. Um, would you ultimately forgive? Ultimately, after lots of time has passed, would you, <laughs> would, you ultimately, would you ultimately forgive them for doing that? Ultimately? I think you would. I think you ultimately would. But would you ever forget them doing that? You most, I promise you would most certainly not forget them doing that. You would not forget them doing that. And what I think what's so great about this, when we see about with God and his relationship with us and our sin, God doesn't say, I will remember their sin, but I will forgive them. God says, I will remember their sin no more. I will literally forget their sin. That's the God who we serve. That's the God who loves us. That's the God of the universe who sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross so that he would remember our sins no more. That's the basis of the new covenant promise. He will, forget, he will remember our sins no more. In breaking Jeremiah 31, verses 31 and 34 down, we see that do God's people uphold the old covenant? No, they don't. Uh, what specifically will this new covenant renew? It will renew our hearts, and we won't have to learn and internalize God's law because it will be in us. And then third, what is the key, uh, yeah, third, what is the key and most crucial life-changing benefit that we will have in this new covenant? We will all know God. Uh, from the greatest of these to the least of these. It's not pertaining to any one person or any one family or any one uh, in particular. Everybody will know God. And in tying all this together, I just want to express to you how much of a big deal this is. In 2022, we have lived in a time and in a space where for thousands of years we have lived under the effects of the new covenant. And so as such, it might be, it's, it's difficult for me especially to see how hard the old covenant was. Living under the old covenant was very, very difficult. We have never lived under the old covenant. We are blessed to have never lived under that old covenant. And how does this new covenant, so how does Jesus Christ, how does he fulfill the old covenant? And then I would say again, how does he fulfill the, all of the other covenants and not just the old covenant, not just the law? Um, I've been off Twitter for a while um, for my sanity, um, but I've been off Twitter for a while. But I, read, I did read a funny tweet sometime last year, and it says, if you ever want to read a commentary on the Old Testament, I have the perfect commentary for you. It's called the letter to the Hebrews. And why is the letter of the Hebrews the best commentary? Why is the letter of the Hebrews the best explainer of the Old Testament? Because it systematically walks through the Old Testament, and it says, in case after case, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Melchizedek. Jesus is better than David. And it's all showing to the Jews, Jesus is better. And the letters of the Hebrews was written to first century Jewish Christians who were being persecuted. And as a result, they were being tempted to revert back under the law of the Old Covenant. And the author, again, tells them, you don't have to follow the law. You don't, we've been given Jesus Christ to fulfill the law. You don't have to go back and follow it now. You don't need to. Because Jesus has fulfilled the Old Covenant. He's fulfilled the Mosaic Covenant that was based upon the law, and he is better. And so how does the work of Jesus fulfill the Old Covenant? For the sake of time, we're just going to work through the basis of Hebrews 8, verses 6 and 7, which tells us Christ has obtained a ministry that is as, that is as much more excellent than the old. As the old, he mediates, as, excuse me, is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better. Since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for the second. So it's worth repeating that covenants are founded upon relationships. 
And what Hebrews tells us is that when compared to the new covenant, the old covenant could only give us a shadow of a relationship. It could only give us a whisper of a relationship. It wasn't a true relationship. And that's not to say that the old covenant was wrong. Uh, Verse 7 here tells us that the first covenant was not faultless, which means what? It had faults. And to be clear, that does not mean it was wrong. A footnote in the ESV Study Bible summarizes this well. It says, The Mosaic Covenant was not wrong, rather it was weak and ineffective, since it could not bring God's people to perfection. God's purposes in the Old Covenant, among others, were to inform his people of the moral law, to convict them of sin. This brings me to my second point. Verse 6 tells us that the Second Covenant is better than the Old because it is enacted on better promises. So the first covenant had promises, but they couldn't be fulfilled fully because God's people could not uphold their end of the bargain. And finally, God knew that under the old covenant that his people would not be able to keep the law, and so he gave them sacrifice in order to be brought back into right right relationship with them. So you're not going to be able to follow this law, so in order to do that, you're going to have to sacrifice animals, and because of that, you're going to be brought into um, a better relationship with me. But because there was so much sin and there was so much breaking of the law, there was this never-ending cycle of sin, sacrifice, good standing. We have sin, we have sacrifice, good standing. And it's very much this sin cycle. Uh, We have judgment thrown in there as well. In Hebrews 10, chapter 11, expounds upon this. It says, Every priest stands at his daily service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices that could never take away sin. So I'll read that again. I think it's worth repeating. Every priest would stand daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which could never take away sin. They could only get us so far. They could only get us, like I said earlier, a shadow of a relationship. Verse 12 through 14 tells us, continues, it says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies could be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Verse 16 through 18, summarizing it, it says, This tells us that a covenant, a relationship with God, that puts, it is a covenant, a relationship with God that puts the laws on our hearts and on our minds. And through faith in Christ, God will remember our sins and our lawless deeds no more. He will not remember them. And where there's forgiveness of sins, there is no longer need for a sin offering. This sounds better than the Old Covenant. This sounds much better than the Old Covenant. As we look through the covenants, the other covenants, in the light of the New Covenant, we see the following. So in going through some covenants we've gone through in this class in previous weeks. We have the covenant of Adam. What did God do? God created, and Adam was his partner in that creation. Did Adam hold up his end of the covenant? Adam did not hold, hold up his end of the covenant. What does Jesus Christ do? How does Jesus Christ uphold Adam's end of the covenant? Jesus recreates. Jesus promised that he's going to give us a new heavens and a new earth. Very similarly, in in Noah's covenant, we are promised that the Lord will never flood the earth again. He will never destroy the earth. And in the new covenant, we are promised that Jesus overcomes the world. And again, he will give us a new heavens and a new earth. What did God promise Abraham? He promised him land. He promised him protection. He promised him a family. What does Christ give us? Christ gives us an eternal home. He gives us eternal protection from the enemy. And he gives us a body of believers who are our family. And they're brought into this family through the sign of baptism. 
The Mosaic Covenant tells us that the law uh, gave us the law, and he gave us the opportunity to be in a right, right relationship to God, uh, with God through sacrifice. What does Christ do? Christ fulfills the law. Christ is our eternal sacrifice. And finally, the Davidic Covenant promises us a king of the Jews who will come from David's line. And as we know, Christ is that king. Christ is that king, but he's not just the king of the Jews. He's the king over all things. He reigns over all of heaven and all of earth. And with the new covenant, do we keep up our end of the bargain? Do we do what we should be doing? Do we follow God's laws, God's statutes? Do we love God perfectly? Do we love the neighbor perfectly? We say this every week. Uh, we say every week in, uh, in our services, we have a summary of the law. Thou shalt love the neighbor, your, uh, they shall love the God before all things, and thou shalt love the neighbor as ourselves. Do we do those things perfectly? We don't. Uh, and that's why we say them every week, to remind ourselves we do not do these things perfectly. But what has Christ done? Christ upholds both ends of this covenant. Christ upholds God's end of this covenant, and he upholds and he fulfills our end of the covenant. So to close, I will read a portion of Hebrews 10, and starting in verse 1. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these things, of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. And jumping to verse 9, what does Christ do? He says, he does away with the first covenant in order to establish the second. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We don't have to keep going back to him. Once and for all, we're justified. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. As we look at this, in the light of a covenant, we have a bond. We have a bond between God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a bond in blood. We have a bond in blood who has been, uh, who's, uh, through Christ's blood has been poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins. We have a bond in blood that has been sovereignly administered. God brings this to us. We do not bring this to God. God brings this to us. And finally, we have a bond in blood sovereignly administered and marked by a sign, uh, which is baptism, but I would also say we remember this every time we take communion. This is the new covenant poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for uh, these uh, parents who uh, want to know you more. And we pray for their families. We pray that they might uh, see their kids and uh, love their kids. And um, we pray that their kids might have good questions this year as it pertains to covenants. What, what are covenants? Uh, how can we better explain them? And I pray that um, I pray that you just empower these parents to speak truth uh, to their kids uh, in light of Jesus Christ, who saves us. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you all. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.